You're listening to episode 52 of Paz de Chipotle. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food history writer, cook, and author. And on this podcast, I explore the gastronomic traditions of Mexico and bring together the voices of cooks, authors, and entrepreneurs who build cross-cultural bridges around the world, championing Mexican food. To find more information about the podcast and subscribe to my newsletter, check this episode's notes. You can rate and leave a review for the show using your favorite podcast app. From a young age, we are mm, culturally programmed to have specific attitudes towards food, to see it as something sacred, also as an excuse to socialize. But for some people, food might seem even as a nuisance that gets in the way of work. But of all the relationships we have with food, having fun with it is probably a no-no across many cultures. If you think of it, food itself is a carrier of multi-sensory experiences and produces so many pleasant sensations to the sight, the smell, touch, and of course the taste. Traditional cuisines, I have found, struggle at being playful and flexible when it comes to reinterpreting recipes in a different context without provoking a wave of disapproval. And when I was thinking about that, then came the girl with the rainbow hair, bored to tears of her office job and ready to grab life by the baking tray. My guest today is Karina Jimenez who is a San Diego-born Mexican raised between Rosarito and Puerto Nuevo, a twilight zone where hybrid cultures are a fertile soil for reinvention and renovation of vibrant mutant identities. After graduating from the California State University of Los Angeles, her art degree landed her a corporate job where she only saw her creativity fade further and further away. She turned to food as a source of inspiration and as an opportunity to create her own business. And that's how Viva Los Cupcakes was born. With a Mexican-inspired range of flavors, Karina created a sweet little empire of her own. And today, she's a familiar face at many entrepreneurial events, such as the We All Grow Latina Summit, where she was a guest speaker last year, sharing her story and inspiring young Latinas to pursue creative financial and business independence. Behind the deliciously playful tamal, conchita, mole, horchata, and hibiscus cupcakes, there is a story of resilience, cross-cultural pollination, creativity, and enormous drive. With you, cupcake queen, Karina Jimenez. I hope you enjoy this episode. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Happy New Year. Feliz Año 2020 to everybody. Hola a todos. Oh gosh, I have so many questions. Let me begin with this. So culinary innovation comes from 
I think, questioning and transgressing rules, which is aim to provoke a reaction, right? Uh, some people are amused, intrigued, and some might not like it at all. But honestly, that's the whole point of doing it, to have a, a different way to make things relevant for us. Now, in your case, Karina, taking upon the most popular American form of pastry, I think what you did is that you just took it as a means to play with a metaphor, creating a deeply Mexican dishes, both sweet and savory, repacking them in a less intimidating and more familiar way to bicultural Mexicans and non-Mexicans alike in the shape of cupcakes. I want to know first, did your background in arts played a role or, or were you guided more by your upbringing as an immigrant how this whole concept took shape it is a combination of all the things you just mentioned do have one foot in one country and the other in the other <laughs> in another and i grew up in the border so it's it's a border town everything gets fused together it gets mixed it gets interchanged I grew up in Mexico in a restaurant. I think I was born a foodie. I always joke about this, but when I was in fourth grade, it never made sense to me how kids just had potato chips and soda during lunch. I always had to have a torta, a sandwich, extra tomato and extra lettuce. And that's always been a joke. Like I had to eat, like I need to eat something. Uh, growing up in the restaurant, I think a little bit of the entrepreneurial thing has always been with me. Uh, a lot of our family has other restaurants as well. Again, the connection that we have with the border town and that is such a fusion of things. You know, we also in Mexico still celebrate Halloween. We still celebrate Thanksgiving because the two cultures just intertwine. It's always an exchange. My dad worked in the U.S. when he was young in the 70s, been back and forth. That's a lot of the history of people, like border town culture. So when we moved here permanently, even though we're very close, <laughs> you know, we can be in Mexico in two hours, but still another world. When you're far away from your own country, as I'm sure you know, you, you need that reconnection. You long for that reconnection to your roots to connect to what you know, what you wish you had, what is so far away from you. And that became more and more apparent as I, you know, start meeting other people who are second generation, third generation Mexican-American who have not had access to a deeper connection because they no longer have family in Mexico. They don't have a connection. They don't speak the language, but they look for something. And so a lot of it has been this pop culture things like Frida Kahlo is such a pop culture phenomenon, Loteria game, the Mexican good bingo style game is and then of course we go to food food is so connected with us we have a palate memory we have particular foods that connect us to childhood memories and it, it's deeply embedded in our culture when i started making cupcakes and as, as you've read i was bored in a job that was just paperwork to me when i started making cupcakes it was just your typical chocolate cupcake at the time it was the end of 2008 the cupcake craze was still really popular um, there was cupcake shops in every corner, but everybody had the same flavors, this basic sameness. I remember coming across a bakery in another town, infusing their Italian heritage. I said, wow, this is so amazing that you get to introduce your culture into this. And it was like cannoli cupcakes and like all these awesome things that you don't get to see. 
and I said, what if I, if I was going to do this and I was going to spend more time on this, I need to do something that is going to stand out from all the other cupcakes out there. So I said, well, like, what do I know that I'm an expert in? And I said, well, I know Mexican food. I could do that. And then after that, it was brainstorming. I actually still have my notepad from that day when I brainstormed a list of foods and dishes and flavors that I had grown up with. I started playing with that and, you know, many tests, some worked, some didn't, to when I finally had a lineup. The first times that I was out selling them, I would get that reaction from people who, again, the Mexican-American community here, the people who would instantly recognize what I just did with the cupcake. You get these, oh my gosh, my grandmother used to take me and she would buy me this candy. It triggers all these memories that we connect with food. The first time sharing on social media that I posted on Instagram that I had a masapan cupcake, the masapan candy made of peanuts and sugar. I had never seen so many crying emojis in the comments. I, I remember thinking, what? Like, what is going on here? And I realized it's nostalgia. It was one of the first things that I realized what I do offers people that connection. Just to sort of expand a little bit more about exactly what you do and the flavors, you know, for those who are not familiar with uh, neither your range of products or exactly what kind of flavors. And some of the most, uh, let's say, sort of natural transitions will be like churro, Nesquik, conchas uh, that could be turned into a cupcake, right? Because they're already sweet, they're already, you know, familiar. Like you said, you're tapping into the comfort and the nostalgia of familiar flavors. Where is innovation coming from? Well, the innovation comes from uh, the moment when you started making salsa verde cupcakes, mole cupcakes, chile nogada cupcake, mango loco. I mean, that is not something you might expect, right? Like you just said, many Mexican cooks specifically, we, we base our relationship to certain dishes as carriers of... Uh, family tradition of a centuries-long construction of an identity. But also at the same time, something that happens with uh, traditional cooks is that they don't dare transgressing those rules. So right. for many, it might seem like a culinary blasphemy. I think that's yeah. the fundamental problem. Uh, Keep the tradition. That keeps younger generations <laughs> yeah. from being interested in approaching, you know, with curious eyes, without <laughs> feeling like they're walking on eggshells and going yeah. to be told off yeah. every second. You know, over the years now, what's the feedback you've had from Mexicans mm -hmm. and, and non-Mexicans about these transgressions of, of food? <laughs> right. For the most part, the younger generations are very excited because they're seeing something they're familiar with, which is a cupcake. But now it has these flavors that they grew up with that are somehow still in their family. They have memories, connections mm. to. It's exciting for them is it's mind blowing. It has a what? It's made with what? Oh my God, my grandma makes that, you know? And the older generations are curious. I think they find it a little amusing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Look what this girl did, you know? <laughs> uh, isn't this funny? Oh my gosh, and it tastes the way it's called and it really has <laughs> this in there. In general, that has mm -hmm. been the reactions. It's either one of excitement or curiosity. And then in general, mm -hmm. no matter the age, no matter the background, is tamal con mole. What? <laughs> yeah, that is 
the cupcake uh-huh, uh-huh. that everyone is surprised, uh, so, excited, so mind blown, grossed out, everything. Uh, a lot of people are mm-hmm. curious and they, they understand, well, yes, mole has mm-hmm. chocolate and some, some people make it sweeter and some people make it spicier. <laughs> we do get a lot of people who come by and they say, I don't like mole or they say, mm-hmm. oh, no, not that one. And then the, the people they are with buy the mole cupcake and they try it. Mm-hmm. And All then right. they're like, oh, my God, it's so good. It's my favorite one now. You have no idea how many times this has happened to us. With my own that's, two that's eyes <laughs> in front of me, the guy gets a box of all the cupcakes. He asks his girlfriend, do you want something? She says, no. He's getting something. Are you sure you don't want something? She says, no. <laughs> they walk away. I see them opening the box. Yeah, he's yeah, trying yeah. the tamal con mole. He offers her. She tries it mm-hmm. a few steps away from me. She turns around. And she points at it. She goes, it's really good. Countless, countless times this happens. (laughs) (laughs) That's very interesting. Such a rich collection of opportunities uh, to discuss. In a recent interview, by recent, I mean, you know, last year, which is just a couple of weeks ago, you gave an interview for the Brown Rising Girls series of the Worthy Women podcast. And you talked about the gender bias business culture. And I thought that was very interesting and also very relevant these days uh, for many reasons. That's the type of issues that everybody knows that exist, but very few people actually talk in depth about it. You know, I would like you to share with us what kind of challenges uh, you came across with from the moment you decided to start your business to expanding and now uh, continue growing. Did you think it has more to do maybe with the fact that you are a woman? or that you changed careers, or that you're an immigrant who also happens to have Mexican ancestry, or all of the things combined? (laughs) (laughs) It's all the things combined, you know, bits and pieces here and there. The first challenge is always financial. And well, I Mm. guess that never goes away. When I started, well, I had been laid off. So I took that as an opportunity to spend time on this. I didn't know if it would work or not. I just threw myself (laughs) out there. But it also gave me the push to, I have to pay my bills. So I have to make this work. But the the biggest struggle has always mm-hmm. been, you know, resources, information, especially for myself or, you know, other people who start from home. Mm-hmm. I did not go to school for culinary. I come from a family of business owners, but by the time we moved out of the business and moved to the U.S. permanently, I was around 11 years old. So I didn't even get the chance to learn business background. But even then, this was in the 80s, 90s. And the way you did business back then, it's a little different than what you do business now. And I mentioned this to my family now, how I tell my parents, you know, I understand that you guys had a restaurant and you ran it. We have similar challenges. But now I have to do Instagram and Facebook and emails and Yelp. They are a whole other job to do. You know, big companies have departments for this. Again, nothing starting from scratch, just with this idea. Um, It's all been word of mouth and other people that I've met out at events have been my biggest supporters uh, in sharing information. I've been lucky enough and grateful to met other women who are amazingly supporters of each other. It's always been another woman showing me who has been there before. But the struggle is still there in the Latino community and 
more so for us women is it's really hard for us to ask for help because we come from communities and we come from these ideas of we do it all and we don't complain about it. You know, you do the work you have to do to get through and you push forward and, you know, we're resilient and we're strong and we push through, but it's also counterproductive to a point. If you are trying to make your business work uh, at some point, you have to ask for help and you have to make sure that it works with you not being there 100% of the time. So asking for help, as hard as it is culturally, you literally have to dig to find information. And, and, you know, financial education, business education, those are the things that you literally have to dig for. How do I learn this? That's, that's something that I realized that it's so hard to ask for help. I hear that a lot of people say that, well, what do you need? Well, well, tell me what it is, you know? And it's like, oh, this is how you do it. I just have to ask, you know? Um, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Obviously, you've walked a long way and have overcome a lot of obstacles, uh, personal, um, professional. And at one of the events that you've um, talked, uh, the We All Grow Latina Summit, the discussions are uh, focused around entrepreneurship, leadership, and the Latino-led uh, business community. So in, in your experience, which do you think are the most important social conditions that have facilitated the empowerment and social mobility for the Latino community and for women like you? Hmm. On the positive end of social media, that's been a big outlet mm -hmm. because it just allows for connection. And the biggest support when you are in another country, away from your family, away from your friends, is finding groups that are like-minded to you. And I hear this all around mm -hmm. my community is other women talking about not just business, but anything in general, yep. anything mm -hmm. that anybody has an issue with. There is a group out there in social media. For many of us who are looking for community and in community, we find support systems and information and all of that. I can speak from my own experience here in LA where I live in the surrounding areas. Mm -hmm. The shopping events right. that right. happen here have also been uh, a big resource. That's one-on-one -on -one person interaction. So many people, other vendors, other customers who support us, people in general, and making those connections are really important. These events have been, I think, instrumental for all of us connecting. Absolutely. And I will go back to that after the next question, because I, I'm also sort of thinking the way in which you, you know, had to grow almost uh, intuitively, not only running your own business. Oh, you know, of course, your business uh, has grown to a point where you have built your own team. So, uh, you know, you have been at the front of the kitchen, at the back of the kitchen, owning and running and building your business. So how ha has all that cultural knowledge and then all the experience that you've acquired helped you build your own team? Has it made things easier for you? How did you build it? Um, you know, at, again, part of my own experience growing up in a restaurant and my grandmother had a restaurant and my uncles had a restaurant. What I saw growing up was the team in those restaurants was a family. And even up to this day, people who have been working for my family for years and years, and that has a lot to say for any business. And so I, I've grown up with that. I like to think that I've transferred that un unconsciously to my own team. It's been the greatest satisfaction, I guess, 
clients or I've had people in my team who have left, but I've had in two instances, people that come back <laughs> and they've told me, you know, and I went over here and yeah, they pay me really good money. It's a lot of pressure, which I'm like, oh, thank you. That means you like working here. I really appreciate that. I, I feel validated in a sense. You know, just to, to make a point, I mean, you are relentless. You don't give them an easy ride either. It's not that they have it easy with you. It's that, it's that they are treated as... Yes, you know, they feel comfortable working with us. And the, the environment yeah, that we provide is... As when we're all working together. I mean, their stories tell me I work somewhere else and the environment was so toxic. Yes, no, the kitchen is not easy. <laughs> No, in any not. way you put it, a lot of the, the people in my team have been people I know, uh, friends. Um, actually, one of my best friends started with me and she enjoyed it so much. She went and got her pastry degree. Oh, um, She went on to do other things, but she still works with me seasonally. <laughs> but but that, you, you've created, you know, an environment for people to, to grow right. and create these opportunities where they feel free, yes. feel nourished from yeah. your experience and also give back, mm -hmm. which ultimately that's the, yeah. the dream scenario for everyone. Huh? I want to work for you. Okay. So I will guarantee you will smell like a pig when you get home. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, going back to social media. Uh, which you were uh, tapping on earlier. I uh, want to talk about business strategy. Okay, this is a new ride for all businesses. Like you said, there are entire departments where people's sole job is to, to do what we do for the same salary or even less. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, earlier um, for the audience, like <clears throat> when we were doing intros, we are pretty much the same age. So we are almost tapping on mm -hmm. four decades, four decades of experience. Like you, I have pretty much based my business uh, strategies and relationships and audience growth and everything on social media. Uh, in my case, mostly Instagram. Mm -hmm. I, Same I, here. Or do you do Facebook that much? I, you know what, I don't do it. As much. I haven't for a while. Um, I, in the beginning, it was it was stronger, but then Instagram kind of took over and took off. So you have to, you have to be smart. Same, same here. So, I mean, you and I both come from a largely analog childhood. Mm -hmm. We got to, you know, get the hang of social media as it was being invented, as it was being transformed. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, I didn't even have a telephone until I was like 12. I, I had a TV, but I didn't have a telephone. It just so happened that, yeah, the, the town that we lived in, you can connect to a telephone, but It was a small town. It wasn't really needed. People knew everyone. You walked everywhere. You know, my grandpa lived down the street and he had a telephone. So if we ever needed to make a phone call, we just go to his house and use his phone. But yeah, and social engagement was actually a face to face. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, you went to people's house, you got invitations, like people were there, hand them to you or they mail them to you, you know. Um, but yeah. Wow. Okay, that makes me admire you even more because, <laughs> you know, you now are a freaking cupcake queen and Instagram <laughs> dominatrix. I didn't need a telephone until I was 12. <laughs> exactly. And you totally kill it on social media. I guess, you know, the nobility of things like Instagram, you know, where you can very easily share 
in real time, you know, reactions and engage with audiences in an emotional way. And, and you not only offer, obviously, is images primarily in video and audio now, but, you know, you don't only offer the temptation of this amazing comfort food, but also, like you said, you know, you tap into the nostalgia of it, you tap into being playful, into daring, you know, think outside the box. And you, you really... Trans uh, transitioned from a total analog person <laughs> to being able to exploit the better side of social media because like you said of course there's a dark side of social media which is the exhaustion of having to run it and still being fresh and still being playful and still being funny and all that how do you remain engaged fresh and um amazing how you do it in, in social media what's your secret now it's my turn to ask how you do it and you are married and have a child how do you do it <laughs> yeah. oh my god she is in daycare right now <laughs> thank heavens you know when i when i started um it was just a very organic growth when i started i think i started it at a key time here in the u.s the economy was sort of kicking back up when i was transitioning from a job to this business the previous years you know uh, here the economy crashed in 2008 and so there was a lot of transition time and a lot of renewal i think when I started like actually selling cupcakes at events, it was the end of 2012. These are like sort of underground art events, like music events. That's really where I started selling my cupcakes. The first events I did were inside bars. And people would tell me, who buys cupcakes at a bar? And I said, when you're done drinking, you're going to be hungry. Like street food was not a culture. And, not, you know, and I would meet people and they would invite me to other events. It was an organic growth because at the time I was doing something very new. I can see now, if I look back, there's been an explosion of services that cater to the Latino community. And so now that the opportunity came along, it just took off. For me, social media has been very kind to me. But then, you know, I started doing things that were more wild. And so, and because I was at these events where you get a lot of one-on-one -on -one interactions, people find this thing that is so new and now they have to post it on their social media you know the ball starts rolling my first festival was la feria de los moles which was the mole festival here in la they brought me in as a connection to all of the traditional stuff i'm like the wild card there yeah i think we've done about five years with them and they were my first really big event they have thirty thousand people that was also the push for me to get all the permits that I needed and paperwork and go into a commercial facility and all that. So it had been an organic growth. Honestly, I think a lot of it was because I'm out every weekend and I get one-to-one -one feedback. I think that's the key thing. Because you can put things out there, but you can use it you know, as a platform to connect. It doesn't just happen. Opportunities aren't going to rain on you. You have to freaking chase them all the time. And that takes me to another thing. We've been talking about this, you know, paced process of your professional growth and, you know, how you've shaped your business. But there's a whole other side of this path, which is failure. And of course, failure is the most painful, but the best teacher we can have in life. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it presents itself in the form of ideas dying in our desk or ideas crashing in the real world. Circumstances change. Anything can happen that can affect our lives and this 
circumstances, uh, these breakdowns, bankruptcy, accidents, whatever, also serve as tipping points to push us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do, right? During your trajectory of your business, which have been low points that you have turned into opportunities of growth that, that um, do you think have taken you to places you wouldn't otherwise uh, have gone to? Hmm. I, at the beginning, it's really it's the the financial struggle pushing to make sure I can pay my bills. <laughs> But you know, over the years on this journey, many things. I mean, it, it, when you have a business, there's especially you know in food business, something is always going to happen. You should not be surprised. Put things that push you out of your comfort zone. The only way to do things is to actually do it. And throw yourself. We could be talking for hours about this. I, I just want to sort of begin wrapping up this with big personal lessons and professional lessons you choose which that have made you who you are right now and have put you in the place where you are creating this new range of opportunities for yourself for your family so think long and hard for two seconds and shoot us <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the first, honestly, was realizing the kind of impact that what I do makes on people and realizing that something's happening here, realizing that what I do has an impact on others. I always keep this in mind. I've heard another of my peers say this. The way people view a food is the way they view that culture. And so it has this educational component to connect cultures to connect people to the food of other cultures and such so that was a big moment you know that revealed the, the extra sensibility that you have after all you studied art to create these bridges of, of communication and cultural symbols mm, thank you <laughs> that's a very good point i never thought about that <laughs> you're welcome that's my job to point it out Because you are crossing this bridge from one discipline to another and pretty much creating an edible metaphor of your own culture. Thank you. Uh, no, yeah, it's true. I enjoy working with my hands. I, I enjoy creating. They're tiny pieces of a work of art. But yeah, it's I probably those two things that I just mentioned have been the biggest. The emotional connection. And then other people who are... In the beginning stages of my own situation, and the people who look up to what I'm doing and ask me, and they look for advice for me, which anytime I can, I, I would uh, offer the knowledge that I know and all the things that I've been to, because I know I've been in their shoes and I know what they're going through. Very wise and very generous. You know, I've also in my life transitioned careers several times. Education has been one of them. And to me, probably been uh, what defines my work ethic of growing personally, professionally, mm -hmm. at the same time as you give back. For me, that's the moment when yeah. experience and knowledge become really significant and useful. When you make it useful for someone else. So thank you for uh, what you give back to on behalf of everyone. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Now that the shop is here, I have all these other ideas that I want to implement too. I studied art. I also did a lot of like teachers, assistant and educational jobs. That's always mm -hmm. in the back of my mind. And going back to food always creates this opportunity for conversation. It's been in my mind for a couple of years. I keep thinking in the times that we live in right now, we're targeted and we're pushed to separate instead of unite i want to do something to give back to provide information to open up dialogue and discussions to bring us together to show everyone over dessert 
how we're more alike than we are different. So that's something in the back of my mind. That is a book that I'm hoping to read. No. <laughs> Thank you. Of course, there's tons of academic work done into that. But the problem is, that's mm -hmm. where my own yeah. work comes in. That it either oh, yeah. stays gathering dust mm -hmm. in the universities or is socialized in a way that is so diluted that it's not even recognizable. Pretty much mm -hmm. what I do with the podcast is not to dumb down all these all this knowledge, sort of brush away misconceptions and to see wealth in all the shared knowledge. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to reading that book, please. Maybe it's just a lecture, you know. Well, I want to close down first thanking you for your amazing and refreshing attitude and for being very open and very honest I have enjoyed so much this conversation I regret the fact that we are not having it over some cupcakes I want to thank you of course for your time today for again being so kind and, and so warm why don't you share several things with the audience first what is next you know new uh, ways of engaging with uh, different audiences, you know, maybe also go back to lecturing and some stuff. But I don't know. You tell us and of course, throw your your social media, uh, where can they go physically, buy your cupcakes, etc, etc. Thank you. Thank you. As of now, we're taking a break from doing pop-up events because we're focusing at our shop at the brick and mortar location. So if you live in the LA area and surroundings in California, um, you can find us in the city of Pico Rivera. Follow us on Instagram. We're Viva Los Cupcakes. And the address is also on there. And so is the phone number. Come and visit. We just did a small remodel of the shop. You can see that. We've actually haven't done an official grand opening yet. We're holding off a little bit for that. So stay tuned. We are hoping to launch a crowdfunding campaign to sort of finish the remodel. We would like to fully set up the shop so that it, it, it is also a bakery so that we can better serve our customers. I hope that you can support us when we have that ready. Something else that's coming up as well is um, cupcake classes. Cupcake fun, I call it. Um, put together uh, cupcakes with our flavors, our toppings, our fillings. Perhaps we can have actually a mole class that we're working on. Um, so stay tuned to that. Well, well, let me amplify that whenever that happens. Again, Karina, thank you so, so much for this. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. My pleasure. And the first interview of 2020 again. So all the best for you, everyone. All the links. Igualmente. Thank you. Are on the description of this episode. So make sure to follow. Uh, reach out to Karina with all your questions. How <laughs> to set up your businesses and tell her how amazing she is. So that's it for today and for this interview. So bye-bye. Bye-bye, Karina. Adiosito. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by me, Rocío Carvajal. To find all the links that we mentioned today, including Viva Los Cupcakes and Karina's contact details, please view the notes on your podcast app. There is, as usual, extra material on this special blog post on pasdechipotle.com. If you enjoy playing audio while you work on your computer, well, why not try Pasdechipotle's YouTube channel, where I also pop photos and extras for each episode. 
Make sure also that you check my new podcast, Hungry Books, available on your favorite podcast app, in which I review amazing books on the subject of food. Subscribe to my newsletter. It is free, pretty, and it delivers straight into your inbox, and you get a nice welcome gift after you subscribe. Simply click the link on this episode's notes and fill in a tiny little card. And finally, this podcast happens because you support it. So please spare a couple of minutes to rate the show and support my work by purchasing one or all of my ebooks like Mexican fiestas, Mexican street food, Mexican chocolate, and Mexican market food. Or you can do as Chef Patrick Toma, a fan of the show and my work, who flew all the way from New York to enjoy my Airbnb experience, eat, drink, and discover Puebla to supercharge his inspiration. And to know more about all of that, please go to positivepotlet.com. If you want to reach out on social media, please do so. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, and say hi. And if you have a lot to say, then send me an email to hello at pasdechipotle.com. The next episode of the show will feature an interview with Pinole hero Eddie Sandoval, owner of Pinole Blue, a company based in Wichita, Kansas, that produces traditional Mexican pinole, And we talked about high-performance nutrition, his connection to the Tarahumara culture, and how a college dorm startup was the beginning of an inspiring company that is helping change perceptions around heritage Mexican food. Well, that's it for me for today, my friends. Until the next time.